There we are, recording episode 24 officially of Smoke Out with Shelly and SJ, the interactive video show where you can join us, smoke with us, ask questions, hang in the chat room, be on video, just be on audio, just be in the chat. It doesn't matter. Just subscribe, OnlyFans and Patreon, ShellySJSmokeOut.com for all the pertinent links. Be able to join us and uh, our current guests, our future guests. Who knows what we have on here? You'll be able to join in and smoke with them. And smoke with us. You smoke with us each week. Just do it. ShellySJSmokeOut.com. We should have Val Venus joining us any second. Big Valboski himself. I will pop him up on the screen when he arrives. But first, I have a new piece I showed on Twitter. It's just Rick. It's a lot of Rick. But it's cool. It's etched. Etched glass. I didn't put any water in. I guess I should have. I normally don't, but I think I would have showed up for this one, but... We'll see. <laughs> see how much I, how much I choke. I saw the uh, the picture of what you got today too, Shelly, in honor of the, the show. Yes, yes, I sure did. Oh yeah. Well, for here's the thing. I've been having, as I've mentioned over and over and over for weeks, I'm going through a really rough time. It's tough. Um, I've graduated from feeling like I just want to cry and go to sleep to, I just want to go to sleep. So I'm getting better, <laughs> but something. Um, it's something, but, um, so I was like, you know, I have a shoot on Sunday and I have to be, it's a, it's one of my customs. It's a two bra and panty matches I have. So I'm like, dude, I don't want to look all bloated for it. So I think I should that? just go the. I do. Don't you hate that? It's like you're, you're in there. You're. you're oh, I'm bloated. Oh. You're bloated. So, um, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna drink until after the shoot for the rest of the week. So I'm like, okay, because I just don't. Here's the thing. Sometimes I think I rather eat super clean and then drink and have those empty calories, and it's worth it. And then sometimes I'm like, I'd rather just eat normal food and be okay and like not eat, drink my calories. <laughs> so that's kind of where I've been lately. And, um, you know, I was like, I got to get a killer sativa to get me just going and feeling it. And it really did, you know, for most of my day, I was like, whoa, I feel like what's wrong with me in a good way. And I'm like, oh, it's that sativa. Dang. Um so, yeah, I, I was like, I got to get it because I just don't – I want something good that's just going to hold me over. And what's so interesting to me is there's times where I'll just, like, have good sessions and then I'll tell whoever, I'll be like, dude, it feels like I've been drinking champagne, but I haven't. And I just love that because it's, like, it's all mental. It's, like, that's where I want to be. But when cannabis gets you there, it's awesome because it's, like, you're not going to get sick off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's no calories, no carbs, no sugar, <laughs> just all natural. So right. I'm just trying to smoke more, man, trying to get this damn body back in shape slowly, but surely it's getting there. But you know, there's nothing that can't be solved by smoking more. Just smoke Agreed. More. Agreed. Agreed. And fine. you know, it's really interesting. Cause I was watching uh, one of my friends, my model friends, YouTube today. And I felt really bad for her because I really could relate to what she was going through. You know, she just feels very, like, kind of void, you know, and overwhelmed. And she just kind of had, like, a, like, just, it was a really cool video on her being vulnerable and very transparent. And some of the things, like, most of it I related to. 
But when she would talk about some frustrations she has that's making her feel overwhelmed, I was like, man, like, those are things that I actually have in my life that's a luxury. Like, one of them is being that I do work from home and in between doing my things, I do have a lot of time to, like, kind of sit with myself and be like, what's my deal? Why do I feel this way? And even though it's not always, like, like the best situation it ends up being that way because I understand myself more. So when she was talking about, she doesn't have time for herself and I just can't relate to that. Cause I have time for myself. I was just like, wow, man, I have all these luxuries and she's not a medicator. And I just kept thinking, dude, if she just smoked, <laughs> if she just smoked, like yep. I know. And so he, here's the thing. I know smoking is not for everybody. Okay. I get that 1000%, but I really feel my friend, is one of those people that maybe at different times in her life, it wasn't for her yet, but I really think now it'd be good for her. Cause you know, she does fetish, she does custom wrestling as well. So I think it'd help her body and like recovering. And so she's now unbeknownst to her, one of my secret projects where I'm going to get her, I'm going to get her. We're going to smoke maybe <laughs> out of a vaporizer and I'm going to get her. And she's like, yes, thank you, Shelly. <laughs> Welcome to Mr. Val Venus himself. Joining us on the smoke out. Now that I got the time zones straightened out, we're good. Welcome What's out. up, smoke out fans? <laughs> Thank you for What's being on the show. What's going on, guys? Hi, Shelly. Just smoking out. Just smoking out. Yep. No false advertising here. Just smoking out. <laughs> what are you guys puffing on this fine Arizona where I'm at evening? I have absolutely no idea what this is. It's black market. But it's pretty good, so. Oh, no, bad. How about you, Shelly? This one, I haven't had it before until today. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. I think it was like Tropicana <laughs> Cookies. Tropicana Cookies. Tropicana Cookies. Very it's good. Sativa. It's, it's nice. So what about yourself? Tonight, let's see. I can't remember. Oh, Lemon OG. So I only got a little bit of this one left, but it's uh, it's one of my favorites. But it's I'm gonna grind up those two last nuts right there, and uh, we're gonna blaze it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Stoner Jesus, you're up in Canada, correct? Uh, no, I'm near Cincinnati. And uh, oh, you're near Cincinnati. Why did I think you were up in Canada? I don't know. I don't know. There's uh, my accent. A. Oh yeah, well, you know, good <laughs> Canadian. Good bastard Canadian. That's for sure. Yes. I'm not sure hey, you're Shelly, talking about you California, right? Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> How do you stay out there with the taxes so high? Um, I work my ass off. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you know, because here's the thing. It's like um, people will comment on that and everything. But being that I'm from SoCal, like none of this is new. It's how we grew up. Like it's. It it's kind of make normalized. It right. Yeah, it doesn't make it right, but it's like, that's just what's up. And it's so crazy. It wasn't until wrestling entered my life where I branched out of California and I didn't realize how expensive California really was in so many aspects <laughs> until I went oh, outside and I was like, what the hell? You could survive on 500 bucks a week over here? All right. Not in California. <laughs> Not in California. <laughs> Yeah, it's expensive there, man. It is expensive. How's Cincinnati for gas prices? Uh, they were below two. Now they're creeping up about three over the last 
few months. Yeah, that's Not, about where we're at. We're bouncing yeah. between two ninety nine a gallon and three oh nine a gallon. Yep. Dude, I'm like, if I, find like, four dollars, <laughs> if I find one for $4, I'm like, yes, dude. And that's like the low, low one. Like, I, my car shouldn't be having that, but. <laughs> so, Shelly, uh, we'll start from the beginning. Uh, how did you first meet Val and when and what were your impressions of Val when you met him? Oh, my goodness. This is so hilarious <laughs> to me because when I'm an Attitude Era fan. And so, as am I, you know, same here. When I used to see Val Venus come out there, and when I, especially when I've gone to WWF live shows back in the day, and he just comes out with the towel and does the whole thing, <laughs> like I thought it was so awesome. And as a fan, not knowing anything about wrestling, how it works, not even how to get involved yet, I was just like, whoa this guy's freaking awesome and when i got into wrestling and then started understanding it more i actually appreciated you even more because then i understood more of what you were doing and, it, and then when i got older in the business and then you and i have already because we met through wwe and it was just very yeah. kind of like you know hey what's up whatever nothing too deep and it wasn't until after WWE I talked to you more. And the thing is, though, is like the I appreciate people like you so much because it's like as a fan, not knowing anything, you had me. But then understanding how the business works, especially being butthurt from the business and like under like having to accept certain things what that does to your soul but there yeah. you were still out there having a good time like entertaining the fans <laughs> and not taking it too serious in the sense of like what you're doing it's like you know it was just awesome so i feel like um you're one of the very few i could say is uh, it's like you got the theatrics, but it's not over the top. It's so believable. You draw on that the fans, and I've talked about so many times on here, dude. It's all about the fans. Like it's all about the fans. That feeling, and I was one of your. I still am, but when I didn't know you, I didn't know wrestling. I just was like, oh, hello, ladies, yeah. and of course yelling, throw it at me, throw it at me, you know, and it's just like. That like, uh, like that's that's magic, and that's when I became a wrestler. I try to connect in that same way that people like yourself, that I was a fan of. Um, I wanted to make people my fans, or even people just watching me in that moment don't even know who I am. I wanted them to feel that. I wanted them to feel that, like, yes, like let's see, like I'm on board, or I hate this bitch, or whatever, and that's what I signed up for. Did I realize that's not really how the wrestling business works? Yes. <laughs> but it's people like you that made me want to do it even more. And I did do it. So that's how I feel about you. <laughs> oh, well, that warms my heart, Shelly. Thank you very, very much. But you did, you, you know, you did hit uh, a key factor when it comes to pro wrestling and, and really climbing that ladder and, and, 
you know, obtaining the dreams that everyone, you know, really wants to obtain in pro wrestling. And you hit the nail on the head when you said it's all about the fans. And that's really, that's so true. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's, um, it's finding that unique way that is different from others where you can make that special connection with the, with the fans, that emotional connection. And, uh, you know, I talk about when I do wrestling camps, um, one of the things I really try to talk about in the camps is how the students coming up uh, through the game uh, really should start focusing on not just getting their, their shit in and start focusing on making that emotional connection with the fans. And uh, the one thing I constantly uh, grind on, really, is the idea that, obviously, less is more, especially when it's done intelligently. It makes sense. It's logical. It, it makes sense in what you're doing inside the ring and the storyline outside the ring as well. And I think when you make that emotional connection with the fans, when you reach out to the fans, I think fans – let's take, for example, you get – uh, you know, two mid-20-something-year-olds that go to a wrestling show and they see a show where everybody's doing triple moonsaults with half-quarter twists and, you know, they get to the water cooler the next day at work and they say, oh, man, I saw this really wicked match. These guys were flying around everywhere doing moonsaults with three-quarter <laughs> twists in it and blah, blah, blah. And the one guy will go, Really? That sounds cool. What's the guy's name? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know who he was, but it was cool. Because <laughs> there's no emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And if the fans are at the water cooler and they don't even know your name, and all they remember are the big high spots and the moves, that's that. the only thing they connected with were the bumps mm -hmm. and the moves. They didn't connect with the talent. And I think when you get somebody like, like you know, you get somebody out there like The Rock, he made incredible connections with the fans. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you, I mean, Hulk, you go back to Hulk Hogan. Um, these guys really made strong emotional connections with the fans. And guaranteed, when those two mid 20 something year olds were at the water cooler at work the next day, oh man, I saw this one big match. What was his name? His name was Hulk Hogan, or his name was The Rock. They know their names. And that's when you know that emotional connection has been made with the fans. And I think that's uh, something that. Not in every match, not with every talent, but I think a lot of talent are missing these days. I think they're missing the boat on that. Um, it's all about, in, in their minds today, of how many high spots can we do? How many big moves can we do? And then be up running around 30 seconds later. Uh, I think making that emotional connection with the fans is something talent really needs to buckle down and really start focusing on. Does that make you know, sense? I, uh, absolutely. I love that you said that because for me and my wrestling journey, again, I was in for it. Like I, I saw these people on TV and the way they connected was like theater. It was amazing. That's what I craved. So, and that's what naturally the kind of performer I am. You know what I mean? I don't, I like improv. I love these different things because you connect, you know, whatever. So I feel like when you were talking right now, something hit me for the first time. A lot of people, it depends on who you talk to in the wrestling world. We'll say, oh, Shelly can't work. She doesn't know, like, blah, 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 blah. And it's those are the people who wrestle exactly the way you're saying, where they're always getting all these things in, da, 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 da. And my whole wrestling career, like, no matter, there was times where 
way later in my career until like I retired, I was training and people would ask me like, why do you train? Like you've been doing this for, it's like, what do you mean? Why do I train? So I was busting my ass when I didn't, when I saw people around me go to training, but they'd sit around, throw in their two cents here, da, 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 da. And I was in there like, let's go. So when I went to shows, my com, I didn't care when these people thought I sucked or whatever the little opinions were. Cause I knew I did it. Cause I knew I put the work in and Absolutely. <clears throat> I was do I was doing things that I thought I could never do ever. And I was doing them like after a while, like nothing. Cause I was training Lucha. So, you know, but those people that were kind of like, I don't want to say hater, like whatever, but they kind of were like, and it made it kind of rough for me because they would get in this person's ear. Like when I've been on TV on whatever companies or that person's ear and they try to change, make this perception of me of like, because of my look, that's all I am. That's the only reason why I got the opportunities I did. And when you're talking and saying all this, it hit me. I think some of those people were my haters because they saw I connect with the audience and they didn't know how. So what could they pick pick apart that I wasn't doing all these crazy things that they were doing. So that's why they kind of, in a way, some of them bullied me. They, Oh, just Shelly. Oh, she's just, oh, da, da. like I've talked on our show here. There was a gal and she would always kind of talk down to me and we had a Cinco de Mayo show. So I went and got this really cute, um, tequila princess outfit it was so cute i was like it was in a, a lucha show i'm like hell yeah like I'm, i should get some views and i go around sound familiar you know work the crowd like that. and so we were going sound very match. familiar we we're going over our match and it was a four way match so you already know it's going to be like it's not going to go well it's a four way yeah so those going- are difficult matches to work for that's for sure so we're going over it and everything's fine. So I go and change into my tequila princess outfit, which is freaking awesome. And I come <laughs> back and she just starts laughing at me. And at first I'm just like, I don't take any offense to it. And I'm like, okay, so let's go over this match again. And she goes, okay, now look at Shelly. Shelly's the joke of the match. And I'm thinking, the joke? It's <laughs> Cinco de Mayo. I'm Mexican. This is a lucha show. Everyone in the crowd's Mexican. Me coming out as a tequila princess is connecting with my people. Like, right, I mean, oh, right. Like, that's what you do. And I remember, like, and I think about that moment a lot because I was training lucha hard. Los Luchas shot out um, at Santino Brothers. And they were on that show. And I remember she psyched me out when she started talking, like, down to me that and I started having a panic attack and I almost didn't want to do the match I was like maybe I should just tell him I don't feel good whatever it got to me that bad and then I turned yeah. the corner. I had no idea my trainers were going to be there and my trainers were like Shelly and I was like oh my gosh I'm freaked out and I told them what happened they're like what are you doing we do this stuff in, tra- in training all the time you know how to do this just go out there like do- go yeah. out there so Long story, closing it in. I love that you said that because if I were to say it, people don't take it serious. But because you're Val Venus and you're, unfortunately, it's because you're a guy in the business, I feel they're going to listen to you. But when I say it, it's like, oh, cute. Okay, Shelly. But when Val Venus says it, they'll go on your every word. So it's like, yes, dude. (laughs) Well, you know, I was always told in this business from the day I got in, that it seems like there are a lot of people out there that are wrestling today that really don't believe that they can learn anything new. 
Um, it, it's and that's just not true. The day you stop learning in this business, it's the day it's time to get out. And that's what I was told since day one. And so, you know, even to this very day, even though I don't get to watch a lot of wrestling, I watch little clips here and there, um, you know, while I'm doing cardio or something like that. But I'll see something happen in a clip and I'll automatically remember that in my head for future reference. Like, okay, if that happens, I got a couple of different new ways I can get in and out of that. But I mean, it's a constant process. No matter how many years you're in the business, if you want to continue to excel and keep going forward, it's there is never any real graduates in pro wrestling. How can you graduate when you are constantly learning? You know, there's people that might believe they're graduates. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't need to learn anything more. But it's, it's so true. The day, the day you stop learning in this business is it's time to get out really. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people are in that, that mode where it just feels like they don't want to learn anything new or they feel like they already know everything. But I just see a lot of talent like that. I mean, I'm not going to, I shouldn't say a lot, but enough to where it, it's quite noticeable on every card. Does that make sense? And every card, whether it's WWE, TNA, AEW, the independents, it's everywhere. It's not just like one thing. And that's why I think it's cool that you teach or we speak on this when you do your things because like these people need to know that. And I, I noticed in my journey that it seems like people just end up when they've been in the business long enough, they want to be lazy about it. That's the bottom line. They want to be lazy about it. And therefore, either they don't want to learn anything new, like you said, or they think they know it all because they're already like, oh, I've already did that. Like when people would be like, why are you going to training tomorrow? Like, why? And it's like, so I do good on the weekends because <laughs> when I didn't go to training, I didn't do good on the weekends. So, you know, but oh, yeah, you, like you get rusty real quick. It doesn't take a lot of time off before you can get real rusty. And then the learning, like you had mentioned, it's like. When I would go to training, what I'd get my natural high was when I would learn something new that I would take with me. I'm like, okay, this weekend, I'm going to try that in my matches. Like, I'm going to incorporate it somewhere, and that's what I'm going to do. And it was so cool because then all of a sudden, even though maybe it looked fancy, as you know, it really wasn't. It was just the exchange and that illusion. But then now the fans going back because it goes back to the fans. They're like, whoa, that was cool. What was that? Did you see that? Yeah. Whoa. And that's what's up, you know. And <clears throat> I shout out to the fans. <laughs> shout out to the fans. fans. Absolutely. <laughs> shout so out now. to the fans. In fact, we should all blaze a bowl to the oh, fans. Yeah. Indeed. So Val, what were your um <laughs> Your first impressions of Shelly. Obviously, Shelly's a, a rather big personality. I'm sure you have some vivid first impressions of her. Oh, yeah. I remember when Shelly first came in, I went, I hope I'm working with her. <laughs> <laughs> no, Shelly was uh, Shelly was cool, man. Like I, I remember seeing her around all the time. It was one of those things where... I never really got close with a lot of people in WWE. It was more, I was just constantly trying to learn stuff new and, and trying to, you know, just, it, like Shelly said, it was, it was one of those things where I was focused so much on 
what kind of joke can I give the fans to repeat the next day when they go to work or when they go to school? Just simple little things like that I was constantly focused on. Um, but watching Shelly come, in, come into the WWE, that was the very first impression. When, she, when I first saw her, I took a double take, and I went, please say I'm working with her. But then, <laughs> then she but then, what do they do? They put you in like uh, – was it – who do they put you with again? I'm trying to remember. Kevin Thorne. That's right. Kevin Thorne. Yeah, the big, huge guy. Big Kevin Thorne. That's right. And I was like, know Damn. Mordecai. <laughs> yeah, Mordecai. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I already still go in these days. You, you, you talk to him at all? <laughs> Funny you should say that. Um, <laughs> long story short, is I make it. Like, positive vibes to Kevin, wherever he's at right now. No negativity. This is just how I feel. Um, so when we were in WWE, we didn't get along and ah. outside of W when I got fired and then some time went by and I think he got released. Uh, we had a conversation. What was really cool. He said some really cool things, apologized for a lot of things, took, um, accountability for a lot, you know? So that was really cool. And I, you don't really get that in life, especially in the wrestling business, you know? Right. Yeah. So, that's, that's pretty honorable. Yeah, so I, I was like, clean slate, dude. Like, dude, that's freaking awesome, you know? And he, when he told me we had that moment, it was really the beginning of me seeing that just because you're friends with people at work doesn't mean they're really your friends. And that was a really hard pill for me to swallow because that's so in, true, in that, right? In that disappointment of thinking I was closer to people than I really was or that they were all they were gaining something out of my friendship like that just was like oh like you know especially when it was the girls because it's like guys are supposed to screw us over but when it's like the girls it's like no so i was it was the beginning of that so i really needed that and it was awesome and then um i had my last wrestling boyfriend cheated on me and i remember Kevin was on a show with him and Kevin texts me. He's like, do you want me to beat him up? Like, <laughs> so I was like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. He's like, I'll do it. So that meant a lot to me. You know what I mean? And through time from that, from then on, um, you know, we worked together a couple more times before I retired. And um, I don't know. I tried to just like have some kind of a connection with him. And it just didn't really seem like he was receiving it. And then when I would see that he would be all like buddy, buddy with like the same old, same old, it would trigger me. And so yeah. I felt bad because like I understood maybe like we just weren't meant to be buddy, buddy. And that's cool. But when I saw that it was like kind of the things that hurt me back then, I was seeing like that same thing. So I followed him and it wasn't cause I was mad or whatever it was. And I told myself if he ever asks why I followed him, I'll let him know, you know what I mean? But it triggered me and it put me in a really bad place. And, but I'm sure. grateful for it cause I needed to go back there. And um, then we had a roast here where we had some people, we had Santino Morella, Francine was on here. Uh, my friend Gary Lee was on here and Kevin said he would do it. And then he flaked. And the thing is, is at that point, he didn't follow me. So I knew he knew I didn't follow him, whatever. And so when I hit him up, I knew maybe there would be like, oh, well, why? But he was cool about it. He's like, yeah, whatever. And the reason why I wanted to include him was because I thought the fans would just think it is so amazing to see me and Kevin. And then because Kevin can bust, chop, you know, bust my balls, 
he would have been so good at freaking busting my balls on my roast. And <laughs> it didn't happen. And you know what? He doesn't uh, owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything. But for the fans. <laughs> yes, on, for the dude. fans. For the fans. <laughs> they would have been, they would have just been like, whoa, dude. Because even though people loved my LAX character, people. Uh, people just like Ariel did something to them, like special, you know? And so it's yeah. just like, oh, you know, people thought he and I were sleeping together because we were so believable together. And meanwhile, I would be talking crap to him while we're out there. So it's like, <laughs> we did a really good job, you know? It's, I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud of that pairing and my time and everything. But, you know, here's what I want to know Did you ever hear any dirt about me? <laughs> That's a good question. No, I actually didn't. Um, you were actually, well, between, I would say between you and who else? And yeah, it was you and Trish were the two that I never heard any dirt about, ever. And it was one of those things where. It was a few years ago. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was, I don't know if it was RVD I was talking with. It might have been either RVD or, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think it was RVD. I think. I think whoever it was, I'm pretty sure it was RVD. But we were just talking about just a plethora of different talent, just telling stories and stuff. And then uh, I think it was him that brought up your name and but we got talking it was one of the things where um yeah she's cool and blah 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 but there was nothing like it was all about your character at the time that's what we would talk about whereas there's other girls stories would come up and you'd be like oh i don't want to hear it and i <laughs> you know what i mean but with you shelly no it was you and trish i think were the only two i don't remember anyone else i did hear <laughs> dirt about I think it was just you and Trish were the two ones that uh, that I never heard anything like anything negative about or anything like that. Uh, we seem to have lost Shelly for the moment. Hopefully, she'll rejoin us. Uh, oh, she got cut off. Outage or something? Yeah, she's disappeared. But um, ah. she should join us shortly. Uh, I did want to say, Val, and I don't know if we discussed this when I interviewed you, however many years ago it was. But uh, you guys were talking about your character and how excited Shelly was when you came out. I remember being having the opposite reaction to your character because uh, my me and my stepdad would watch Raw. We'd tape Nitro and watch Raw or something or other. And right. we watched Raw and then your music would hit and we would both like audibly groan. Like, oh, man, it's this fucking guy again, you know, with the, abs <laughs> and the women and all that. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> Tremendous. You got to love it. Oh, she's back. Yes, Shelly's rejoined us. <laughs> Shelly's I back always come house. back. <laughs> I always come back. I don't go away. I'm like the cockroach. You try to switch. You think it's dead? Nope. <laughs> uh, I was just telling Val. Uh, I was a huge Attitude Era fan. Obviously, I got my Stone Cold hat for the night. But um, how much I hated his character and hated when his character came out. <laughs> and uh, I said, just it's it just you know. I guess obviously it was one of those uh, jealousy things like, you know, the guy with the abs and he's getting all the women and it was just, you know, just a, a visceral reaction, which again is, you know, testament to the character and, you know, reaching the fans one way or the other. 
Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was one of the things where we, I think it was Vince Russo that came up with the Valvinas name, and it was one of those things where when I first met Vince Russo and Vince McMahon, they were like almost interrogating me, trying to find out, you know, what makes me tick or whatever the case may be. They're just peppering me with questions. More, more Vince Russo. But I guess Vince Russo, when we were driving from the television studio back to the office, he, Vince told me that he looked over at me in the passenger seat, and the first thing that popped into his head at that moment was, oh, this guy looks like a porn star. <laughs> and he didn't tell me at that moment, um, because just morally and ethically, I'm probably the furthest <laughs> thing from a porn star you'll ever meet. <laughs> But we never really brought that up. It was more just talking about politics. I was talking his ear off about politics. And so how he came to the conclusion when he looked over at me and said, oh, this guy looks like a porn star. I have no idea. <laughs> but I will say that, you know, that that's what he was thinking. I didn't find that out until actually about a year ago when I did his show. And, he, you know, he says, hey, did you ever, did you ever find out how the Malvinas character came about. And I always thought that this man was watching too much Boogie Nights and thought, Dirk Diggler, Malvinas. <laughs> but that was not the case. So apparently when he looked over at me when we were driving to the television studio back to the office, in his mind, he thought, yeah, this guy looks like a porn star. So when I flew back to Mexico City, where I still had to work, I had to continue working there because I was carrying the, the strap. And I was working up to a big mask versus mask match with Raul de Jalisco Jr. And uh, so I went back to Mexico. And while I was in Mexico, it was probably about 7 o'clock in the morning. And the phone rang. And I was just getting ready to go to the gym. But I had just gotten out of bed. You know, I was just still tired pulling on my shorts. The phone rings. And uh, it's Vince McMahon. And he <clears> says, uh, hey, we got a character for you. Um, and we want to see if you feel comfortable playing this character. Okay, shoot. And, he, and Vince Russo was on the speakerphone with them. And uh, they said, okay, so Val Venus is a former film star turned pro wrestler. And the first thing that popped in my head was Jesse the Body Ventura was like, kind of like that. You know what I mean? I, that's the first thing that entered my head. and thought, that's already been done. Like, why would I just, you know, replay Jesse Ventura? <clears throat> and then he says, actually, Val Venus is a former adult film star turned pro wrestler. <laughs> and at first I went, oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and he says, you know, the last name, he spelled it out for me, V-E-N-I-S. And I'm going, okay. And he goes, and so I'm starting to think in my own mind, is this like a, a gay porn star character, you know, I'm starting to question where's the catch, right? <laughs> or, is this like, or is this like a female loving porn star? And so when I realized that it was the female loving porn star, I was like, yeah, twist my arm a little bit more on that. <laughs> and so uh, I said, I get to play a porn star. That's friggin' awesome. And then he goes, whoa, 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 hold on. At least take 24 hours to uh, to think about it. Let it sink in. See if you can develop some nuances of the character. And then call us back tomorrow morning and let us know. 
And sure enough, 24 hours later, I called him back and said, I'm in. <laughs> We've uh, lost Shelly. I'm not sure what's going on in oh, her neck of the woods. <clears throat> She's uh, dropped out once again. Hey, were you born and raised in, uh, in uh, Cincinnati? I was literally born about 200 yards from where I'm sitting right now. There's an old hospital back behind me. It's not a hospital anymore. It's like a convalescent home or something. But uh, yeah. yeah, I was born and raised right. in Northern Kentucky. Never really uh, went anywhere else. Whoa. You, you said Northern Kentucky? Yeah. We're right across the river from Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's We're right. Yeah, you, guys back. Are, uh, you guys are growing some serious amounts of hemp out of Kentucky. Oh, yeah. It's one of the bright spots of the state. <laughs> Shelly's <She's> returned. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Um, did you talk about how you came up with Hello Ladies or how that came about? Oh, yeah. I can tell you how, I, how that came about. Okay. So it was, it was really simple. It was, wasn't one of those things where we really thought anything about it. In fact, it was only really written into the very first vignette. So when I agreed to do the Valvinas character, I still had about six months left down in Mexico to continue working. It was great. I was earning two paychecks. It was freaking awesome. But leading up to my debut in WWE, what Vince did is he flew me back from Mexico City up to New York for two days. And uh, so I had to take two days off of work in Mexico, fly up to New York, and we uh, – taped a, a bunch of vignettes that, you know, Val Venus is coming, right? And the very first vignette that I filmed, and, and those vignettes would be playing every week while I'm actually down in Mexico still competing under a mask, right? Or performing under a mask. And uh, the very first vignette, Vince Russo just had it written into the script, you know, like, hello, ladies, and then went into writing the script. But the second and the third and the fourth one, none of them had Hello Ladies on. And when I read the script, I didn't think about it. But when I actually performed it in front of the camera and watched the first take back on the monitor, I saw myself deliver Hello Ladies. And I was like, oh, I should do that every single time. <laughs> And then Vince Russo grabbed the papers and started writing it. Hello, ladies. <laughs> it was as simple as that. It was just, you know, just getting up and doing it. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, that needs to be said every time. You know what I mean? We've lost Shelly once again. I'm not sure what's happening. It's the first time it's ever happened. This is the 24th episode. She's never cut out at all. Yeah. I can remember, much less multiple times. <clears throat> um, while we're sitting here smoking, Val, uh, what are some of your uh, go-to strains? Do you have any go-to strains, or are you one of those guys that like tries a bunch of new shit all the time? Um, I like to try new things, but mm. I do have my go-to strains. Uh, White Widow, an original White Widow, is one of my favorites of all time, but I would say it's more so because it's very nostalgic for me. Mm. It was the first time I actually sat in a coffee shop in Amsterdam, and it was the very first... Uh, strain that I blazed I guess you could say quasi-legally and it felt so comfortable and so amazing and that is where my next dream of opening cannabis coffee shops uh, that, that was the genesis of that dream 
Because I was sitting in a coffee shop and I couldn't believe I had a coffee in one hand, a doobie in the other that I had just ground <laughs> up and rolled right at the table. And I see everybody from, you know, a couple of college kids sitting around a round table, the old ladies sitting behind me just puffing away and sipping on their mm -hmm. teas. And the genesis of my next dream for cannabis and coffee shops was created. Welcome back, Shelly, once again. Oh, she's back. Yay. <laughs> I resulted to my, you know what? I just want to say this. The devil's a mother effing liar, but you know why I ain't worried, biatch. So I got my phone. That's right. <laughs> I got my phone. So we'll see. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so we were just talking about uh, favorite strains there, Shelly. Oh, my favorite strain is, I. it used to be Blue Dream always. Yes, I love Blue Dream. Then I got introduced to Forbidden Fruit by uh, Pacific Stone. That is my effing favorite. And then what's almost my favorite is also from P the brand Pacific Stone, and it's the orange cookies. <gasps> oh, my. Sometimes I feel like, whoa, did I have an edible? No. I just smoked <laughs> like, it's awesome. And to be able to just get there like that, I love <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, do you still smoke Blue Dream every once in a while? I do. I do. Um, I try to mix it up. You know, I typically get the Pacific Stone just because they have a really good price of wherever you go, really. So it's kind of like they, they're they the good um, price, but the quality doesn't suffer. So I keep going with them. But on 420, because there was deals everywhere, I went to my old dispensary. And I think it's one of those illegals. So they got some real good stuff. <laughs> and um, uh, when I went there, they had a really good special on the ounce. And so I got this Skywalker and I was like, dude, this is, this is freaking awesome. But then that's why I went back today and I got this Sativa. So I'm trying to mix it up because I know that in the past I kept with one brand for too long. And then after a while I was like, Oh, I got too used to it. You know? Yeah. You got to change it up every once in a while. I think so. I Speaking think, of what, edibles. What, what, what's your favorite strain, strain there, Stoner Jesus? Uh, well, obviously in the area I'm in, I've had less access uh, to like good strains and stuff, but <clears throat> some of the good ones have come through uh, Girl Scout cookies is tends to be my, favorite it's a good blend of of what i need to uh but speaking of uh edibles val uh, uh shelly talked about this last week do you know about the brownie slut the i'm sorry what <laughs> the brownie <laughs> slut shelly told us all about the brownie slut last week what is the brownie slut <laughs> Oh, the brownie slut is awesome. Again, I get it at that illegal spot <laughs> because they it's um, a thousand milligrams that you can get. They have it in 300, 500, and 1,000. And I like to get the thousand milligram because, you know, you only have to eat a little bit of it. So um, it's they have brownies. That's the brownie slut. And then they, actually, they have some cookies and other ones. But I always get the, um, the brownie. And it's a freaking amazing. Sometimes you get a little scared, you know, but I like that. I like to just be like, like, here's the line of where, like, you don't want to cross. I like to be just right there, just scared enough, just scared enough.
enough to where I'm almost regretful, but not quite. I'm like, okay. So that's how that brownie, when I'm a brownie slut, that's how it makes me feel. It's really good. It's a, um, called Milf and Cookies is the brand that it is. Ah, okay. We have, uh, well, we have, we haven't carried it in our shop for a while. It's probably been about four or five months, I'm guessing. But it's a brand called Corova. I think they're out there in California yeah. as well. But they're mm -hmm. thousand milligram brownies as well. I actually got two of them in the in the fridge right now, and uh, those things are potent. It doesn't roll off the tongue the tongue like brownie slut though. Doesn't roll off. The no, it does not. Doesn't. <laughs> That's something you remember. I'll remember that when I'm hundred years old. Brownie oh, slut. Yeah. <laughs> the, the packaging on the brownie slut it's brown, and then there's a big um, like is it red or pink lip kiss mark on it. So it's really awesome. Oh, that's you really know. cool. You've been it's hit by the brownie thing. slut. <laughs> you, know, you know, going back to uh, to Blue Dream, that is one particular strain. I like to write a lot about politics. And uh, sometimes when I'm trying to, you know, draw up a clever way of putting information together where it clearly describes my position on an issue or challenges someone else's position on an issue um, to get creative with words like that to, to really make it simple for people to understand the question that I'm asking so I can get a, a response and answer um, it takes I don't know it's, it's, you got to have a little bit of creativity flowing around in that brain and every once in a while, what should have been easy for me to do, I'll come up just hitting the wall. I'll go, wham! I'm okay. I know exactly what it is I want to say in terms of the message I want to, I want to, you know, put out there. I just don't know how to make it or create the the verbiage so that it's easily understood. And I hit a wall. I'm telling you two, three, maybe four or five little tokes on a blue dream, on a good quality, well-grown blue dream. And that writer's block wall just crumbles to dust. <laughs> and it, it stimulates my creativity every single time. And uh, once I'm done dealing with like political issues, if I still have that blue dream kicking my brain out, all of a sudden I'll start coming up with, you know, really good Val Venus jokes. <laughs> 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 now, I'll tell you what. If I had known that Blue Dream did that, or marijuana in general, but mostly Blue Dream did that before I before I got into WWE, because you know I didn't really start smoking marijuana until after I was in WWE for the first couple of years. And uh, but if I had known that it stimulated your mind that much create creatively, uh, I would have smoked it a lot sooner. I would have smoked it right at the beginning of WWE. Yeah, I bet you my Valvinus jokes would have been way better. But it wasn't your time, though. That's the thing. I was a late bloomer as well. It wasn't until I started with being on the road that I even tried it. So, like, um, and sometimes I think the same thing. Like, oh, man. I didn't even think the same thing about coffee. I didn't become a coffee drinker until, like, my late 20s. And so I'm like, yeah. you know, that, what that could have done for me, drinking coffee when, like, those flights and da da but it's like it's not meant it wasn't meant at that time and it's like i don't know i feel what before you called into the show today i was talking about my friend she's not a smoker and she's having a hard time and i just i could tell knowing her personality 
me, dude, she just needs to smoke. She just needs to smoke. <laughs> right. You know, and, to have that. And, um, but it's not her time yet, you know, but. Uh, That's a good I point. I never really thought about that. It just wasn't the right time. It wasn't, you know, um, it's still crazy because I, like, I've always thought like, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. But then I just like, you know, I always say this all the time. It's like the butterfly effect, you know, if that one thing changed, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. And I don't want anything else in my life right now. I want to make more money, but that'll come with my hard work. So that's fine. It'll happen. But other than that, it's like the people in it, where I live, um, the struggles I don't have to go through anymore, you know, it's not there. And if I, if any of that other stuff changed, I wouldn't be here. Like I'd be somewhere else. Yeah. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I like here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad that you are here as well. <laughs> absolutely. Speaking of here, uh, subscriber Lando has joined us in the uh, chat area. Welcome Lando. Huge wrestling fan, aspiring wrestler himself. Uh, well, oh, very good, very good. Indeed. Can I see him in the chat? Um, I'm not sure. There's a little thing that says private chat. I don't know if everyone can see that. I have a question. Oh, hey, dark, I, I have a dark tank Lucha. Dark tank Lucha, yeah. That's him. Or no, I don't have a question. It's more of a comment. I just Whoops. freaking love. We lost Val. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> it's been a night of losing people. <laughs> I know. He should return. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll hold my question. Yes. <laughs> it's because they are watching. <laughs> the, the NSA or someone. Yeah, someone, quote unquote. I love the NSA. I think they're an outstanding <laughs> organization. They're doing great work. Read my emails. I don't care. Listen to my phone calls. Whatever. Whatever you feel a need to do, you do. <laughs> Don't come kill me. <laughs> I'm back. Now it's returned. Sorry, um, I hit the wrong button. Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. My bad. <laughs> Something that I just love, 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 love is how ballsy you are on Twitter. <laughs> the things you say. Because if I were to say them, I would get in trouble. I would get in big time trouble. And the fact that you're still on Twitter is impressive. As a of fact. Oh, they kicked me off. Did they? They, they, kicked, they kicked me off there. It only lasted about a week, and then I was back on. But they they sent me when I appealed it. They immediately sent me back an email. Like when I say immediately, I'm saying within an hour, saying no, you're not getting your account back. Basically, you know, it's it's done. You violated our whatever. I it was basically saying you're done. And then magically, like a week later, I go to look at it to see if it's, you know, still there because they still had, um, you know, if you went to it, it would say something stupid like this account has been suspended or does not exist or whatever. But all of a sudden, boom, it magically it was there again. And I went, well, let me try to log in. And I logged <laughs> in and got it back. <laughs> 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 well, I love the controversial things that you say and how you handle yourself when people come at you with what you have to say because I don't know it's just refreshing to know that there's other people that are from the wrestling world that um, 
see what's up you know what i mean and you call it out and i love it <laughs> well thank you shelly that's that's much appreciated because there's a yeah there's a lot of people man they just they do not like some of the stuff i say you know what i mean and it's it, it's not like i'm uh it's not like i want to attack anybody or that it's, it's that i'm attacking positions and I think it's important. I think we all need to attack positions that, you know, may be immoral, unethical, um, and, and not just accept them as normal just because it's normal. You know, and, and I mean, it goes through all kinds of different positions. For example, you know, you get an issue like taxation. Um, when you break it down and you think critically about what taxation really is, and I mean when we think critically about it, I mean breaking it down into all its little elements and examining how all those little elements work together in order to create what we call taxation. And is there anything in these elements that have anything to do with morality or ethics and something that's non-criminal? And when you look at it, well, you say, well, it's government that does it. That, that creates taxation, well, you ask yourself, what is government? Well, they're human beings. And if all human beings are created equal, which I firmly believe, and I'm not saying equal in terms of size or intelligence or speed, I'm talking equal in rights. So the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to property, I think those are essential rights that all humans are just naturally born with. I mean, if, if, a, if somebody was an atheist, it doesn't mean you're not born with the right to life, liberty, and property. Um, you're just naturally born with that right. If you're religious, uh, it's a God. God gives you those rights. It's the right to life, liberty, and property. So it doesn't really matter where someone falls on, on their own belief system. Humans are born with those simple natural rights. I don't ever remember a human being being born where they can dictate to another human being that you're going to give me a percentage of the fruit of your labors, uh, of your labor. and. Um, when you break down the issue of taxation, you have to analyze what is government. They're just human beings with a label called government. And for me, me personally, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. That's where I believe my right to life, liberty, and property comes from. But like I said, an atheist still understands they're born with the right to life, liberty, and property. It's just it's just the way it is. And, uh, oh, and the pursuit of happiness, of course. And so when we take a look at government, I don't know, they're just human beings. I didn't know they were born with the right to point the state's guns at you and force you to pay them the value of your work, your labor, your skills, and your talents. I didn't know they were, how come I wasn't born with that right? Like, am I born with the right to force you to pay me value that you generate going to work every day? And so when I look at analyzing all these little facts government is factually just human beings that's all they are they don't have any more rights than you or i do except they literally threaten other human beings they, they take the money out of their paychecks if they're what they call employees and if they're business owners they literally point a, a proverbial gun at them at first they use intimidation coercion of force to compel those human beings to pay them value against their will now a lot of people will go but what about the roads well we can talk about what these stolen loot spent on in a different that's a completely different topic what money's being used for we're talking about the crime of theft the crime of extortion human beings calling themselves government in my view they're just human beings. They have no right to use intimidation, coercion, and force. Because if I did that to them, 
they throw me in a cage. But they can do that to us. And, and it comes down to the, the reality is government is for the people, right? Or supposed to be. Well, if it's for the people, I wouldn't call it a government. It should be a representative body like the founding fathers first envisioned. And if government, human beings can use some apparatus to use intimidation, coercion, and force to compel all of us to pay them value, who cares what the money's spent on? We're being stolen from. We're being victimized. It's a crime. And so if, I, if I'm going to get arrested for using intimidation, coercion, and force to compel another human being to pay me value, why aren't they? And when you ask these questions, you're called a lunatic. You're called, oh, you're one of those tax evaders or you're one of those sovereign citizens. It's like, no, I'm asking legitimate questions. How did these human beings labeled IRS, how did they acquire a right to use intimidation, coercion, and force on other human beings and not go to jail? And not just not go to jail, make a freaking paycheck out of that stolen loot as well. They, they fund their entire standard of living on that stolen loot. And when you start talking about what it is in terms of facts, being fact-based rather than this illusion that we're tax agents and we're allowed to do this. Who allowed you to do this? Let me speak to them, please. You know what I mean? And, and of course, when you ask questions, uh, you, you attack the, found, the foundation of government's claim which is, hey, you're obligated to obey this written instrument called tax law. Well, think critically, that sounds about right. I mean, I always assumed I'm obligated to obey that written instrument called tax law. I'm going to assume you guys have always just assumed it as well. Am I correct? Yeah. I mean, we all are. We're, and then, but if we think logically and critically about it, we have to ask questions, right, to really dig down and find the truth. So you start asking yourself, why do I believe that an obligation actually exists between what government says is a written instrument called tax law and private sector human beings? And so why do I believe there is an obligation? Because at one point I did believe it was true and just born that way. So, or, or raised that. So I start breaking it down. Where did I learn that? Like, how do I know that there's an obligation? Well, I think back and I start thinking, well, my parents told me I'm obligated to obey. But what does that mean? It means they were moving their mouth telling me I'm obligated to obey. Then I could say my teachers all through my educational years, they all told me I was obligated to obey. And then you start thinking that that's all they did was move their mouths and tell me. Then you had media, you had Hollywood, you had all these different um, entities that constantly would either portray taxation as normal or tell you you're obligated to obey your taxes how many times have we heard two things for certain in life death and taxes i believed it but people moving their mouths telling you you're obligated to obey it's just human beings moving their mouths there's no facts that would prove to me that i'm obligated to obey a written instrument called tax law and i've got several uh, so i went on the hunt for those facts because i'm sure they were there somewhere and who better to call than the IRS in, in the United States and Revenue Canada up north of the border? And I have those conversations on my Top Shelf Anarchy channel on YouTube, and they're available for everyone to listen to. I challenge the tax agent. Hey, the foundation of your claim is I'm obligated to obey that written instrument that you claim I'm obligated to obey. Is that correct? And they all say the same thing. Yes, you're obligated to obey. 
Okay, if I were to put you on the stand in court and you made the claim I'm obligated to obey that written instrument, and then I ask you specifically, what facts can you present to this court today in front of that judge and that jury that would prove your claim that an obligation exists between me and that written instrument called tax law? They got nothing. They have nothing. There's literally zero facts proving any of us are obligated to obey that written instrument. It's literally just men and women with badges and guns that are more than willing to point those guns at you if you don't pay and obey. And so I basically came to the conclusion that taxation is 100% extortion. It's a crime. They should be arrested or at least given the opportunity to spend 24 hours packing up their desk and getting the hell out. And anyone that wants to stay there and keep their job, arrest them because I'd get arrested if I forced anyone to pay me money. And I came to the final conclusion that, and this is after thinking thinking critically about every little element that makes up what they call, what they've convinced us is taxation. And my conclusion is this, if a human being runs for office and their solution to funding all the things that we all want, need, or desire, like roads, bridges, sewers, things like that, if their solution is to set up a professional extortion racket and allow humans to extort private sector humans with immunity, I'm sorry, they're not fit for office. You know, we all want these roads and bridges and things like that. There are professional fundraisers we should be electing to offices all over this country that can raise that money uh, voluntarily without victimizing Americans. And that's the final conclusion for all those years of all the elements of the issue of taxation, for example. That is the conclusion I finally came to. Every time I hear a politician say, we need taxes, I'm like, that guy needs to get out of office or go to jail, one or the other. And, I mean, facts matter, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally. Next time you guys talk to a, a lawyer or, or somebody that uh, makes the claim to you that, yeah, we're obligated to obey, just ask them, what facts do you rely on that would prove in a court of law? that an obligation actually exists between private sector humans and a written instrument written by other humans. And you, you start to you start to listen to their answers and they don't have any facts, zero, none. It's literally either just assumed or they threaten you. That's it, you know? And to me, you threaten somebody with intimidation, coercion, and force. Is that not grounds for a prison or at least an arrest and given due process? I think that's grounds for due process time. Indeed. Subscriber Lando said, uh, for his part, tell the government to suck the fattest part of my left nut. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Thank you, Lando. We, I, I think these things are important. And then you get like people like The Rock, who, in my view, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's, sold, he's sold out. He, he's straight up sold out. Um, I can tell you this, John, I don't know how much you knew about Kane and Al Snow and I always talking about politics backstage. Did uh, did you ever hear about those stories? No, not really. I just kind not of... Not really? It was... I, uh, we, we would always talk politics, especially in catering at TVs and pay-per-views. And um, I remember a couple of times Rock would come in He'd walk over to the big round table that the three of us were sitting at, and he'd hear what we were talking about, and he'd be like, oh, you guys are talking about that. And he'd walk over to another table. 
He had zero interest in talking about political issues and how they affect private sector human beings. Zero. I mean, it was absolutely, he did not want any part of it. But now all of a sudden he knows enough to endorse Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And it's, I don't know, man. I was like, I'm almost positive the Democrat Party has promised him a position uh, running for president under the Democratic ticket, either in 2024, 28, or 32. I can almost guarantee it. Yeah, the premise of his, uh, that Young Rock TV show is him running in 2032 for president. Is that what no? You yeah. lie. Are you serious? The show Young Rock, the, it, he uses it as like a platform to go into old stories where people play him when he was younger. But yeah, the basic premise is he's on the campaign trail in 2032 running for president. He picks uh, his vice president, who's like Rosario Dawson, who's playing like a general. Yeah, it's the whole the whole basis of the show. Really? <laughs> wow. That's mind-blowing. I had no idea. Setting it up already. Setting it up early. I you will give him this. You know What's that? It I said, you know how it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, that's mind-boggling to me, man, because... I, you know, we can't discount the fact that the, here's the scary part, actually. We can't discount the fact that The Rock is probably one of the best entertainers of all time in terms of his connection with the fans. Um, he knows, he's got the, he's got the pulse of the crowd and the fans, you know, right there on his thumb. So he's, he's incredibly intuitive when it comes to reading fans, what they want, need, or desire, except he blows it big time when he gets involved in politics. Um, number one, rock is always catered to pleasing the majority. As many fans as he can, that was his goal. Great goal. That's a, that's a human being working in the private sector. When you get a human being operating in the private sector, that's how you become a success, right? You look at what other people want, need, or desire, and you try to provide that to the best of your ability. And he had really good, or has really good ability at connecting with the fans. The problem I see that, and that is, he is so captivating for so many people that it's a double-edged sword. When he's in the private sector making movies, he's entertaining people. But when he has that kind of charisma and he gets into politics, well, guess who else was voted into power on all these great promises and on the fact that he was incredibly captivating were people like Adolf Hitler. And when you can control the masses uh with what would you call that i guess the it factor i guess you could say yeah. when you can control the masses with that it factor it's a great thing when it's as it pertains to entertainment it can be a very bad thing in politics yeah, does that make 30 million instagram followers so is that going for him he has how many 230 million instagram followers <laughs> wow all I that's say is, uh, all that's I an incredible reach. The Rock used to be my hero, and I didn't have many heroes ever. Like, I just wasn't mm. that type of person. Like, when people are like, oh, what wrestlers inspired you to be a wrestler? I was like, none of them, really. Like, I just knew I was supposed to be a wrestler. So The Rock became my hero, not just because he got me in that attitude era as a fan, but... As somebody who at one point 
was really focused on trying to not just do wrestling, but also the acting thing. He inspired me in that sense of like, you can do this. Cause I was always told you either do wrestling or you do the Hollywood thing. You can't do both. So pick one. Like when I first started, you know, so there's that. And then my interactions with him were always positive. And like, it was this whole thing. So he became my hero. He's not my hero. I do not follow him. I do not like him. And I don't talk about it because I know people are just going to come for me and I just don't want to be bothered. It's not worth it, but like it pains me. And so all this stuff popping up the show and then, you know, him wanting to run for office and all this, I'm just like, Oh my God, no. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. I'm right there with you on that one, Shelly. I, I was rock very, very, very much disappointed. You know, it was um, it was a shock. It was a shock to me when he when he just sold out like that. And then there were you know there were things. Well, if we go back to the Saturday Night Live skit with the child molesting robot, that when I when I saw that, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, and making jokes out of it, especially at a time when, you know, the, the John Podesta emails dropped. Of course, you had fake news saying, oh, no, that was a conspiracy theory. I mean, these are literally John Podesta's, e John Podesta's emails, uh, you know, and it's got all kinds of child, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it, uh, pedophilia code in it. Um, those were his legitimate emails. And he goes out on Saturday Night Live and does skits like a, creating a child molesting robot in the middle of all that. And that was really where I was really disgusted, but I didn't, I didn't see him as a sellout at that point. Um, I just figured it was a really bad decision, but then you see a couple of other things happening. That one maybe bad decision is actually becoming a pattern. And you're like, Whoa, 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 this guy just sold out. And then of course, when he came out in, in supported, Kamala and, and Joe Biden, when this guy, he, he, he issues, political issues were not something he was ever interested in. And all of a sudden he's interested in it when at the same time he may be now, as I find out, running for president at some point, probably what, what did you say, 2032 <clears throat> is what the show's all about? Yeah, 2032. Wow. Wow. His Instagram is a lot of uh, his energy drink and his workout videos. Ah, okay. He's okay, like yeah. seriously jacked <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Much more so than he was in his WWE days. Yeah, he looks fantastic. But, uh, you know, when, when you get somebody that when, – when somebody sells their soul like that, especially something that big, because in my view, that – I don't think I've ever been as disappointed with any other human being than when I saw rock sell out like that and just do insane things. And um, I don't know, man. It's just that that's a sinking feeling. I understand how you, I, I, at least I think I understand how you feel Shelly when you just felt let down by, by some of the things that he's, he's done. Here's the thing. When, I had my Wizard of Oz moment and I saw that wrestling was just a man behind the curtain. You can't ever unsee that. So when all the smoke and mirrors were gone and I was seeing what was what and how you really truly survive in that world, I was just like, 
so brokenhearted, but The Rock gave me hope because, like, the stories you hear as being a pro wrestler, having that journey, and then you hear these stories about The Rock and, like, these different things and, like, how they used to make fun of him and blah, 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 and all these different things. So it's, like, the perfect story for, like, that underdog story. It's, like, the perfect packaged nicely with a little bow story and I bought it and I not only bought it but it like like he became my hero and I didn't really call people my hero and but I don't regret that I had those feelings towards him because it did help me it did help me think outside the box and then right continue to work on my own content or do this or do that or whatever so what I bought did help me be a better version of myself. So there's that's it's fine, but it's like I thought you were different, dude. That's why yeah. I bought your story. I, Shelly, I bought the stories. I thought you were different. Would you say that you smelled what the rock was cooking? I smelled what the rock was cooking, and Thank it you. smelled foul. Very. I'm here all week. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> it was very foul. Oh yeah, let's hit a bowl here, guys. Cheers, y'all. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's a that's a great episode, episode 24. Another classic, if I do say so myself. Would you say oh, so, Shelly? A classic yeah, episode. Quick, I just have to say this real quick. Indeed. The, when I used to be like the rock was my hero, there was, I won't say names, a very problematic wrestler who I came and trained at the school I was at. And I was fine with this guy. Like I don't really know him, know him. So maybe that's why we're cool and like we smoke, whatever. But very problematic history. And when I had brought something up about The Rock, he just was the only person I ever knew up until then that had negative things to say about him. And I was just like, right, really? Like, really? And he was just like, yeah, and blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, no. And because this person had this problematic history, I thought maybe he's making some of this up or whatever and now i'm like holy cow this problematic ass person that probably anytime he said this to anybody else they're like oh they're so and so being a hater da, da, da. and it's like dude no i i believe him dude yeah you cannot smell what the rock is cooking <laughs> didn't smell any of it none of it that's how i feel <laughs> shelly are you doing any acting out in la now uh, I've, I've done things here and there. I'm just more focused on like my content because I don't know, especially now with like how everything is like, you got to go and get tested for everything and I get it like whatever. So it's like, honestly, like, I don't mean to sound like whatever, but I can make the same, if not sometimes more money at home shooting my own content and I don't have to leave the house. And yeah. I still do things here and there because if it does make sense, here's the thing. Okay. You talked about how you are a Christian, you know, I really believe that the Lord just brings the gigs that I'm supposed to do to me. So I don't really go. Oh, very good. Very good. You know what I mean? I don't seek them out like I used to or whatever. I'm just like, uh, I'm a part of a casting network. So I do see breakdowns of something I fit for cool, whatever. But like, I don't, once because here's the thing long story short i did the hollywood thing before getting into wrestling 
So I thought wrestling was a really good fit because I thought like it's still a way to be a performer, but you don't have to deal with the Hollywood BS. And then when I got onto WWE, it's like, oh my gosh, it's the same, but worse. Yeah. It's like there's only so many spots. There's not like, you know, so um I don't know. I just this time in my life, I'm just like been there, done that, grateful for all of it, but uh, I'll just take the gigs that the Lord sends my way, and that's about it. <laughs> By the way, Shelly. Yeah, that's a great way to, to view going forward, that's for sure. By the way, Shelly, when you say you have to get tested, uh, you mean COVID tested, correct? Yes. Some would construe it as you saying you need to get STD tested for your career in the adult film industry. But you're getting COVID <laughs> no. tested. No. So what it's like, you're like, you gotta get tested for everything. <laughs> Preach it, sister. You gotta get <clears throat> COVID tested for every gig out there. All these damn tests all the time. There. All these damn tests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You gotta love it. <laughs> One for the road. Blaze up everyone out there, whether you're subscribed or not, whether you're watching this later, whatever. Cheers, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one got me by the boo-boos. Bow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to join us on the, hey, what one day will be the greatest show in the history. Stoner Jesus, thank you very much. It was a pleasure, my friends. Yeah. Shelly, you okay? I pee. <laughs> Did you pee? Awesome. That's when you know it's been a good show. <coughs> Shelly pees. When I pee, <laughs> I peed myself. We're out. <laughs> Peace, guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>